On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's communities, Teach the Global Goals, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities with educators around the world. $40,000 computer lab, you know. It's amazing. Um, But when you can't do shit with it, what does it matter? Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss whether our jobs as teachers have improved over our careers. Teachers Pay Teachers has a new platform. Ugh. And our guest this week is educator and author Kristen Harrington. So happy you said the uh. <laughs> uh. I think since That's, the beginning of this podcast, we <laughs> it's been pretty clear my, my position. Our favorite punching bag. Yes, I've I had suppose. I haven't had discussions with other educators out there, and they've tried to convince me otherwise. And and though I have heard many points about teachers pay teachers, I yeah, they still are my favorite punching bag. <laughs> I think I think what you've separated in the last three years that that we've worked together is the premise of why it's like why teachers deserve to earn an income for knowledge that they have like that kind of thing versus like teachers pay teachers itself being a problematic platform platform, Mm -hmm. right and those are two separate things absolutely right yeah even though like like teachers teachers deserve to earn money for unique knowledge that they have Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have skills at podcasting and you make a podcast and someone wants to, for example, pay you to promote something on your podcast, <laughs> um, you know, we have no problem mm-hmm. doing that, you know, and, and because we have a, a large listenership that has value and, yes. um, you know, so, and I guess a classic example of this is, is our friends, Mike Matera and John Meehan, who um, have just launched a, a company, yes. I guess. Actually, right? that's, a, and, that's a good point. You know, they have unique experience. They have unique knowledge and yeah. unique skills um, that are perfectly suited to what they've done. Um, and, you know, they deserve to, like, if if people want to spend money, let them spend money right i mean no one's forcing anything down anyone's throat no one's no one's forcing you to do anything um they've spent a lot of time and expertise on on what they've built and they deserve whatever they get i mean it's a tough beat so yeah i mean i'm i'm wishing them all the best we're gonna have them on the podcast in the next i don't know month or so we've got oh good basically the next two months lined up but uh we're gonna try to get them in and chat with them what did you think about that what's it called again e emc squared squared learning what do you you think of emc squared learning glenn um it's a i mean it's a perfect partnership between them um and the you know i immediately went to the price model (laughs) because that's what i do you know a lot of the things that we are dealing with right now as instructional coaches or as tech integrations or just teachers in general is this concept of having to pay 
uh, monthly subscriptions for a multitude of platforms. Tons of things. Uh, and, and adds and, up. And, yeah. And most of the time it's out of the teacher's pocket. Um, so just like you were just describing teachers pay teachers, at least in this case, there is no third party taking a cut of, of what these guys have created. Um, mm -hmm. And what they have created definitely has value. As I started looking through some of the stuff and some of the examples, they just have some really awesome ideas about yeah, activities that you can do in your in your class. And they have a way for you to customize activities very easily and get them going quickly in your classroom. If you're if you're lacking for activities that are game oriented, gamification oriented, um, and and you want to mix it up, my goodness, they have a treasure trove of things that you can go ahead and purchase. Now, the hundred dollar price point is what it is right now. If you get in basically early, that's what they're they're saying. Um, it's expensive, but in the scheme of all of the different subscriptions that are out there, it's right. It's it lines up perfectly with what's out there right now as far as the thing and how quickly can you spend a hundred dollars on teachers pay teachers and not get very high quality stuff. You know, it's it's variant. You know, there's a big mm. variance as far as on on teachers pay well, on what you actually get and whether or not it actually even belongs to that person that's <laughs> selling the thing, you know? Yeah, sure. yeah, so many of their items have been, you know, stolen from other people who were just giving it away on their sites and all kinds of different right. controversies. Um, so I'm happy for these guys. I, I also know that probably the, um, the archive of all of their materials is just the beginning of their, of their company. They really are in the PD business. I mean, you can tell by, by, as I read through their sites, um, they are, uh, basically putting themselves out there to be able to go in and speak to, um, districts or specific groups of teachers or so on and so forth. And I've heard both of them speak and they've both been on the podcast mm -hmm. and we know them both personally. And they're yeah. both, they're I, I, both, I mean, I call really Mike Matera awesome. for sure a friend. Like, yeah, you know, we've spent a lot of time with Mike. I, I yes. talk to Mike all the time. Yeah. And, you know? and they're, they're both, I think they're worth it, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was mm. even a hard conversation. It was actually my argument was, it's funny. I mean, going full circle, my first discussion argument, I don't want to call it an argument, just a, a debate about teachers pay teachers uh, that had me thinking at least was with Michael Matera at um, Badge Summit. Badge Summit. The first time yep. that we went Before to Badge ISD, Summit. Before ISD, ISD 2018. Yes. And so we were sitting around. I remember. Around I was and, there. And, yeah, you were there. You were there. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. And and that was, you know, that's actually the first time I met Michael Matera in, in yeah. face to face, you know. And yeah. you know what? From that point through the point right now, they have a lot of value that they're giving they they themselves like they they write all these different books and they and you can tell by the books that they write that there's something special about them so if you did sure. bring them to your school district they do have value they have mm -hmm. and they have a great message and they're great people i mean what a combination yeah. i mean that's a that's yeah. a great combination i'm super happy for them and i also am happy for people that do this that basically are bypassing that third person, the third, you know, the third, um, 
the middleman, let's call middle it. The middleman. The middleman things. So so if you can find a way to do that and, and you can sell your whatever you're worked on directly to the customer, consumer, and they even have on their thing, if you're not happy with what you get, they'll give you back your money, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to get that on teachers. Pay teachers. <laughs> yeah. They'll give you back. I have, you, you're not satisfied. You get your stuff back. Yeah. I have, back, I have business model thoughts, but it's not my business and it's not my model. Um, so, <laughs> you know, if they want to slide into my DMs or jump on a call, I'll, I'll chat with them about sure. what I was thinking. Sure. I, I do have some experience with, you know, selling lesson plans on a storefront um with logics academy so so yeah. i mean i i know i know a little bit about this this business type about the space um, exactly so, but but speaking of teachers pay teachers what do you what do you think of easel oh the new yes is it it's a white a new... i guess it's a whiteboard right it's a it's a platform of some sort that they've that they are excited to announce and i i was almost thinking that it had some um lms type of functionality inside of it and it's yeah, directly yeah, it connected right yeah. yeah it's directly connected to the tpt library i guess that's what you want to call it they're you know yeah the resources and i just grossed out <laughs> by the thought of it uh because often and i've had this discussion with you and on the show and whatever might be and people that have heard this before sorry um the <laughs> The thing that drives me nuts about Teachers Pay Teachers is actually what they do best. You know what they do best? Is the night before you need to do something as a teacher and you need to come up with something for the next day, there's a there's a there's a lot of ease in getting something and then distributing it the next day to your students. Yeah. And that is mailing it great. In. Yep. Great for the educator at the moment you know, mm -hmm. of, of the supposed emergency or whatever might be mm -hmm. terrible for the students. Cause you don't even know what you're getting. This puts that even closer. That's that's uh yeah, that circle even closer because now you're working within the system. Um, and it says here, you can prep, um, um, basically lessons yeah, basically that, are, that you're you can bringing take in. A, like a pdf that you've yeah. downloaded from well you don't even have to download it from no. teachers pay teachers a pdf that you've bought um you know put it into your easel account i think directly and then yes. distribute it via google classroom to your students and they will all receive unique copies because that's what google classroom does yes and then the kids will do the worksheet and then submit it back on easel or google classroom, classroom yep. and 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 you can grade it and yes. um you know the the problem the well the thing that easel doesn't do is solve the actual problem of teachers pay teachers so so the the actual like product itself is is fine i'm indifferent yeah. i mean sure. they i mean it's a it's a it is a worksheet distribution platform mm -hmm. with integrated LMS functions and grading capability. Yeah. You know, on the face of it, sure. Cool. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It, it really yeah. is. Yep. Yeah, the reason is. why we yep. don't like it is because it's mm -hmm. taking crappy <laughs> worksheets and and putting allowing you to put even less thought into them than you already were. Yeah. Right? And That's then it. and and then 
you know, distributing distributing them to, you know, your your students, you know, and making all of that easier without resolving any of the actual like the the actual problems that people have now in particular with teachers pay teachers are systematic, you know, you know, um entire company issues that aren't yes. resolvable by uh, you know anything other than a complete culture shift at the company yeah. um you know and and actually you know what's funny is I, I noted this to you in our texts about this but they they actually don't refer to it very often as teachers pay teachers easel mm. what do they refer to it as they they said uh, well, they call easel it easel by TPT. Yes, they, easel they hit it. Easel by TPT. <laughs> so they don't even call themselves by their company name mm -hmm. because the company name in itself, you know, brings up, you know, problematic yes. issues with why teachers who get paid so little are, you know, spending money on crappy worksheets, right? Yeah. Um, plagiarized content, racist content, certainly, <laughs> oh, yes. um, it, it's all there, right? And, and they know it's there. So the idea that they even recognize that even their company name has a lot of like conversational problems, like mm -hmm. as far as like the, the whole <laughs> system is broken in this system like, and, and easel does nothing, <laughs> easel does nothing to resolve um, the fact that teachers pay teachers as a premise in many ways is bad. Yes. So, 100%. you know, digital whiteboard to chill worksheets, fill your boots. Um, <laughs> it's cool. It's really yes, cool. Yes. Um, there's a couple, there was a couple kind of interesting articles and, and notes and stuff like that, that, um, have come up over the last week. We're recording a little bit later than we normally record, so there's a little yes. more. There's a little more here. Um, we're recording <laughs> on on Friday. Um, we normally record on a Monday. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we should. I guess the first thing we should talk about is, uh, and this has probably changed since when we had it on our outline on Monday. This question of should teachers be at the front of the line for vaccines? And yes. President Biden basically flat out said yes just mm -hmm. i think it was either yesterday or wednesday yes you know on on twitter said i'm directing states to prioritize teachers um you know to to receive the vaccine so um you know i i don't know why this is even like a hard conversation i don't think yeah. it is yeah um no, yeah if you're if you're going to if you're going to force anyone to go back to work as a, like, like, are we saying that teachers are essential to the recovery of the economy? They are because mm -hmm. if the kids are home, the parents can't go to work in a Absolutely. lot of cases. Yes. Right. And that makes, that makes that just in and of itself, that makes them essential. Not Absolutely. to mention, not to mention the educational societal, you know, psychological aspects of why kids should be at school and why it's better that they're in face-to-face -face learning than, than distance learning, right? Yeah. But, I, I um, think the, the only reason why it's controversial, Mike, or reason why it was even brought up, and it was even the, a Twitter hashtag of, of 
the movement against this, just what he <laughs> said there, it, it, it go, all goes back just to, just to teacher bashing, but specifically teacher union bashing, especially in the, in the States. Oh yeah. And it's, it's like, it's such a, it's a dumb argument to make, especially because you're, you are probably the same person that's making the exact other argument that you were just describing, which is get my kids back into schools, into school so that I can go ahead and go to work and I don't have to worry about them being at home, et cetera, or this is not good for them, you know, uh, having uh, distance learning, et cetera, or a hybrid or whatever. And it's called the only way that that could happen <laughs> is mm -hmm. if they're protected. And um, it's been really left up to the states. And so some states have done a, a magnificent job of distributing this to specifically their teachers and in getting kids back into classrooms. And then some have just not. And it's so disturbing that 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 is the case. And so many of you guys, maybe even listening to the podcast, have not gotten vac vaccinated. I have already been it's already been two weeks past my second vaccination now um which is like the the point where you should be good to go immune. as much as you could can be you know yeah yeah um yeah and so i'm hoping that that by him stating that that there is a bigger uh, conscious movement towards doing that especially with states like texas and was it Alabama that are already deciding there's no mask mandates anymore? They're going to open up fully. The school districts, uh, the local school districts can decide whether or not their students even wear masks anymore to school. So some people are pretending we're way, we're way down the road. And if that's the case, we need to make sure that the, that our teachers are protected as fully as we can protect them, you know? So it, it's a weird thing and it's, it was definitely as a washington post article and many major news uh resources wrote about this because there is this weird controversy that's what i'm saying it shouldn't be a controversy it should be like obvious but many times when anytime you bring up teachers uh, there's just a group of people who are just like we're anti whatever they say <laughs> yeah yeah and in this i mean case, I, don't, I don't think that yeah. there's a controversy for teachers getting vaccinated no. i think there is i think that you can make a reasonable argument for some other people not being prioritized that are sure. are are shouting about being prioritized um, the one that I'd love people to weigh in on, and I'm and I'm a little bit afraid of like incurring the wrath. <laughs> okay, what but um, but I would love to to know what people think of. Uh, I saw a lot of tweets about public librarians, hmm. uh, public libraries, um, and and librarians saying we sh we're essential too. We should get vaccinated first. Hmm. And 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 I can see. I can I can make a very strong case about why that that's not the way it should be. I I get you know a lot of what they're saying, but I'm yeah. I'm interested in I, I I think that what we're seeing now. How do I say this? <laughs> you know when when the pandemic was in like full blown crazy mode with no vaccine. Yeah. No one wanted to be an essential service. And no, no one wanted true. to say that they were essential. No. 
right? You know, yeah, we're we, not we essential. Like... You know, we shouldn't go. We're not essential, right? Yeah. And and because that means if you were essential, that means you, you have to go, go to work. work. Yeah, right? you need to be there. Right. You need to. And be you there, had to yes. go and risk your lives, right? Mm-hmm. But now that there's a vaccine, all of a sudden, lots of people are essential. <laughs> um, you know, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I think, think that there's the... something there. Yeah, I think it's the pitting of the groups too against each other which i yeah. unfortunately always happens especially with there not being enough vaccines at the moment yeah. for everybody a determination so there's has be... to be made it is what it is exactly you gotta you gotta figure out who's who's gonna get it, the things the vaccines first um and with those decisions comes controversy and in this case um president biden saying Teachers are going to get them first. That's like immediate controversy, but it shouldn't be. It, it, well, and a lot of people were yeah. debating whether he meant K to twelve, yeah, or also like higher ed is yeah. is our university professors essential? Are they counted too? Yeah. I'm are they? Sure. I mean, they're obviously counted. So the word that Biden used was educator, educator, um, which is which is smart, an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, we've we've had uh, conversations mm-hmm. over the years about the difference between what a teacher is and an educator, and mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff. But um, you know, so I don't know. Could 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 the university system go another six months without you know uh, without professors getting vaccinated? I I bet you they could. I mean, we have friends that are university <laughs> professors, and they're, and I'm sure, gonna, uh, including one now. on staff, and and I'm sure that they're not happy to hear me say that. But I mean, it's 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 for the most part, it's true. Um, you know, it's different, and yeah. it's it's incredibly complicated. Yes. Um, there is a lot of nuance to that discussion, and it's probably not the same everywhere. Um, no, absolutely. So not. you know, when you live in a big place like the United States of America or North America. Where, you know, there's a huge difference between the University of Regina and the University of Toronto, right? Yeah. Those are two entirely different, like, systems, places, localities with different, you know, amounts of the virus being spread. Yes. Um, and people coming from different places um, to go there and different cities, you know. So Maybe different countries. Yep. You're right. Yeah, you absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tro- University of Toronto is one of the best universities in North America. So, mm. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I could, I could see it being, it's complicated is yep. what it is. So the, this, this article here, this Twitter post was pretty interesting. U.S. teachers, has your job improved over your career? And if hmm. so, how? Yeah. Has your job improved over your career? Mine got worse over the over the really yeah from when I started yeah um, teaching to the year I left it it got it got quite a bit worse like I Is, I had to leave it, at the end was it like, because you knew better you know what I mean like where you're like you over the years you develop oh, you actually learn well, yeah and then you're like okay this is actually wrong. Do you know what I mean? The system yeah. which you were in and, and the administration or whatever it was, you know, the things that and you were like, yeah, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So you you know how you come into it very green as a new teacher and you're like, you're not exactly sure what it's supposed to be. So you're just kind of going with the flow and you're learning the systems and the procedures and what the administration does. But as you get older and not as you get older, as you have more experience in the systems, then it's easier to be able to distinguish like. This is not right. 
you know, whatever the things yeah. might be that you're that you're making. Is that is, is that where you were? Yeah, at there was definitely a bit of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just you know the difference between I and I actually have a tweet that I that goes out fairly often about the difference between looking like 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 when you when I first started we had lots of really cool tools and ideas and like yeah. products and like iPads and like computers I had a I had a forty thousand dollar computer lab you yeah, know it's amazing um, but when you can't do shit with it what does it matter. <laughs> <laughs> what's it matter is it because they were it was so confined mike as it far was as the what rules you were... and the regulations yep. and Got the it. policies and the and the you know layer upon whatever. layer upon layer of garbage and yeah. and 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 administration bureaucracy on top of like these really cool tons of potential you know um you know just just absolutely killed it now that being said, I think yeah. that overall, I, I imagine a lot of people would say yes. Um, yeah, and I feel I, like I wonder about that. You know, because okay. teaching is such a all-encompassing profession, yeah. and we all know that. Yeah, that there's this thing mm. where you look forward to the summer so that you can kind of get reinvigorated and refreshed and, and have that energy back again so that you can do it all over the following year. Um, I've heard, you know, several of my friends that have, have retired from the profession, they said they were ready, you know, and maybe that's every job, you know, but specific to teaching, I was like, huh, it's an interesting question. Has your job improved over your career? Now, I would say that as a Spanish teacher, my job did improve over my career because mm. I gained more experience, so I became a better teacher. That that part improved. So I, mm -hmm, I actually mm -hmm. knew kind of like what I was doing, <laughs> you know, by the time that I was in year, you know, eight, nine, and 10, you know, down the road a bit, I kind of like was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then as the years went on, I was like, okay, I... I can now improve upon my practice. I actually know what I'm doing and 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 that was great. But there were also these things that happened as you were describing too, Mike, where you have these these things that have zero to do with teaching that burn you out. And which leads to our next discussion. When you know, one of the things is this kind of like a hundred percent depends upon your administration. Yeah. And your local school board how good things are in in your specific classroom and in yeah, totally. with your students and the things that you opportunities that you have and and everything everything is connected to that so being that it is that that is the case i could see where you end up with the you know a, a, a bad administrator or a bad school board or whatever else it might be the culture is bad and you eventually yeah. go yeah this is not for me cuz you know better you know on those ends but there's these all of these things that are out of your control that when you begin your career, uh, by out of your control, I mean the things that drive you insane that you can't control. It's not about teaching and learning in your classroom. It's all this other crap that circles around just education in general that does have an effect on you. Um, and when those things become so overwhelming – throughout the years and you can see it because your experience, I could see where you go, yeah, I'm done. 
<laughs> you know, and you go, it hasn't improved. I'm done. You know, this is, this has been great. And I, you know, whatever, I've enjoyed it, yeah. but I can't take any more of this, you know, whatever it is that, that is driving you nuts, which leads us to our next discussion, which one of just, those just factors. To say, just to say, yeah. though, I yeah. imagine the last year has taken five years off people. Oh, at least. You know what man. I mean? Like, if at you least. had asked this question in yeah. um, January of 2019. Yeah. You know, I, I think you might have gotten a different answer, a lot, a little more positive answer. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I think that especially in the U.S., um, people are just tired yeah. and done. Yeah, and teachers are quitting because it's not worth their lives. Agreed. Um, when you were only getting paid thirty three thousand dollars a year. Agreed. You know, in Florida, right? Like, why would you do that? Like, mm. it's just insane. Like, I mean, obviously, some people have to, but if you had a choice, and we have friends that had the choice, and you know, no, I, I mean, <laughs> so it's like I, I always joke that the the last year has aged the carpets in my house ten years. <laughs> it's so and true. My couches, my my couches are 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 you know worn <laughs> out a lot more wear a lot more a lot more, <laughs> a lot more craft dinner and jello spilled on them and you know yogurt exactly <laughs> you oh know and God. cheese strings yeah cheese exactly. string cheese <laughs> you know mushed into the cushions you know after you yes. know that sounds like we're disgusting people we're really not but you know, kids hey, we are have disgusting. Kids. If you have kids, you get you get you know <laughs> what we're talking about. Kids are disgusting people. Kids are disgusting. <laughs> you know what we're talking about. Yes. So yeah, one of those things that could drive you over the edge because you know better and you know how how bad this is for education in general, much less for just the kids in your classroom, is standardized testing and our last topic that we were going to bring up is basically an article that was that brings up why are we still doing high stakes testing and yeah it's just it's just mind blowing how much control and we've talked about this before these testing companies have over specifically the United States government both federal and state governments and it, whether or not they want to to admit to this, the fact is we're still going to test kids this spring. It's so stupid. It's, the it's point? ridiculous. If it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. And what the hell are you doing it for? Uh, I don't understand and, it. And and with those with the data that they're going to retrieve from this, Mike, and who knows what's going to happen? You know, it's, what would be the results of it? I'm imagining there's going to be supposedly some lower scores than were expected or that whatever and then they're going to use that basically against the systems against us you know it's yeah. it's the most yeah. ridiculous thing ever it's so stupid and it's well, an it was an opportunity to change yeah and yet we don't change the uh. only the only people who win in this this scenario are the testing companies yes. because here's what they do and and our, our our friend mayor said this yes. and i thought of it instantly is is she said they give you the disease and then they charge you for the cure absolutely and that's exactly what's going to happen here is that you're going to get lower test results than you've seen 
because obviously and then they're gonna say oh we have a product for that <laughs> it's only fifty thousand dollars for your school and you and you know they're gonna do that a million times over mm -hmm. and and just rake and it's it's a shame because the only people that are winning the teachers aren't winning no. The principals aren't winning. Mm -mm. The administrators aren't even winning. They're getting everyone's getting hosed by this. Kids are getting hosed. Yep. Yes. Except for, you know, the CEO of Pearson, Oof. who's getting a fat stock option this year. Mm. Loser. <laughs> yes, big loser. Ed. It, it could be one of those things, I mean, connected to this thing as far as has your job improved over your career as a teacher. When you know that this high stakes testing is stupid, it doesn't mean anything, yet we spend so much money and we dedicate so much time to it. Um, it would, it could, can drive you over the edge. And I've heard people say that they're like, I'm done with this. This stupid, the system yeah. is, is ridiculous. If, yeah, if you bye -bye. are allowed to opt out in your in your I, like we are in minnesota you are allowed opt out opt are. your kids out it means nothing it means nothing to you it means nothing to your kids it means nothing to the teachers there is no value in it opt the hell out this year um and and go live your lives for mm. god's sake i like uh, that because, as an episode you know name. if if, if opt the out <laughs> yeah, because if the last year and a half has taught us anything, is that we only have one life to live, and absolutely, you know, we 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 shouldn't be spending uh, a that. bunch of it in in stupid tests that only make Pearson and whoever else loaded rich. When we come back, we're going to talk to Kristen Harrington, the author of a new book, Adventures in Authentic Learning. Stay with us. It is like a spider web. These diverse interconnected spaces help and inspire us to understand, empathize, and take local action in our schools. That's Yahaira Guedes, a facilitator within the Teach the Global Goals community on Participate. The community is home to hundreds of resources, courses, and educators around the world, collaborating on how to bring the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals into the classroom with our students and as a collective to be a powerful force to achieve the vision of a more peaceful, healthy, and equitable world. We'll hear more later in the episode from another community facilitator on why you should get involved. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest is an ed tech coach in Florida and was the recipient of the ISTE Ed Tech Coaches PLN Award. She's the author of Adventures in Authentic Learning, 21 Step-by-Step -step Projects from an Ed Tech Coach. Welcome to On Education, Kristen Harrington. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. Kristen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, take us a little deeper than the, than the three sentences I just gave everybody there. Okay, sure. Um, so I've been an Ed Tech Coach. This is now my ninth year, I believe. And uh, I always joke that, or not joke, I'm serious, but I say that it's like the best job ever. I feel like I'm really lucky. And I always tell the teachers that they make me look good because I get to just go in and see the best things happening all the time and 
<laughs> share ideas with teachers and work mm. with kids as well. And it's, it's a pretty amazing job. So I'm very, very fortunate and lucky. So Kristen, talking about your book, you have a section on a topic many teachers struggle with, um, basically to find a solution to motivating our students to create quality work. As soon as I started reading that, I was like, okay, this is a topic that hasn't been addressed. Uh, there's things about motivating students, um, making relationships with students and so on and so forth. But what are some strategies that you have found to be effective to have students submit that assignment with and, and make it be quality? I think um, a couple of the strategies that I wrote about that are my favorite one is having some kind of model or example. And that seems really specific, but I, I think I kind of tackle it in a different way versus just like, this is what it should look like when you're done. Um, mm -hmm. And then students will tend to copy, but bringing students in as part of that, like you could show an example, even a mediocre example that you make up as the teacher and then have students kind of evaluate and then help have them help decide what the criteria is for that project. Mm -hmm and showing that um, another thing is building in time for reflection and like iteration in the process, which is something I see that doesn't always happen. And I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone because timelines for schools are literally impossible. We all know this, like you can't really fit everything in that you need to do in a year or even a week. And so I think by having um, reflection built in and, and really making sure you build that in and teaching students what that even means. I think those are two really important ones. I struggled a lot with providing meaningful feedback when I knew that the work wasn't good enough. Like that was like my biggest thing. And I, especially when I taught like the older kids, this is the, the kids I actually had a hard time dealing with their work. Cause you can talk to them a little bit different. You can be more upfront with them. But you also want to maintain like a healthy relationship. You want it to be constructive. You don't want them to resent you, um, you know, but you want to say, listen, man, this just we both know this wasn't your best work and you can do better. Um, you know, how do you do that? Like, like I struggled with this and I don't have the answers. This That's almost what I that's. I said what I just said a whole bunch of times and sometimes that worked and sometimes that didn't. That was just my style though, was just being like, listen, you can do better than this. It was a little bit of a coach mentality, right? Where coaches right. push, push kids different, right? A little bit harder maybe. And maybe I was. Um, and sometimes that comes off as being a bit of a jerk. I don't know. But like I said, I, I struggled with this. I struggled with how to give meaningful feedback when you know they can do better and you're kind of upset that they're not. Right. Well, one, first of all, one important thing I think you said was what works for you and how you did it. And as a coach, the first thing I'll do when I meet with a teacher is to see what works for them and what works for me may not always work for them. So I like that you said that because I usually will try to tweak the way that teachers say things, but not necessarily change them as a teacher and their yeah. style, but specifically for the meaningful feedback, and I don't, I don't know if I went in this too detailed in the book, but I think um, trying to ask questions that get students to almost like that Socratic questioning is a strategy I've used. Um, one particular project I can remember is we did, it's actually in the book, the Invent It Challenge, which we participate in the Smithsonian um, Invent It Challenge every year. 
and I had students who came up with like flying cars and things. And so we, I would ask questions. Well, like, how would you build this? Has it ever been created before? And have them be the ones that go, oh, this probably isn't a good idea. So it's not necessarily coming directly from Got me. It. So that's helping them, that's helping them get there themselves. Yes. yes. And that's not like always, it. again, there's other times where I'm like, no, get out. Like, <laughs> that's not good enough. Because we don't, we, we're not always at our best. But my goal is always to be that perfect teacher mm. that does the Socratic questioning. Does it always happen? Probably not. <laughs> Interesting. Very cool. In your in your book, you spend uh, some time talking about teachable moments. Um, and I'd like to look at that. So I have one question and then I have a, a bit of a follow up from two perspectives. OK, to And I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on both of those perspectives on the positive side. And this might be more in your wheelhouse on the positive side. I love I loved talking about space flight. So I've, you've heard, if if anyone listens to the podcast enough, they know I'm a giant nerd for space stuff and, and, and spent a lot of time talking about it with my students. I would often, you know, if there was a SpaceX launch or whatever, I would stop whatever I was yes. doing and, and watch it, you know, put it up on my, on my big screen, um, and, you know, let everyone just stop what they were doing and let's watch, you know, them blow something up or whatever. And and I thought that this was an amazing teachable moment. Um, what do you think of doing something like that? Because there's there's obviously like my, for example, my principal kind of thought it was cool, but I had a vice principal who actually hated it and and you know didn't like that I wasn't you know teach teaching which is ridiculous right so do you think stopping your class for space is a good idea i definitely do and um i share your enthusiasm we just had it hosting um for the last couple weeks for the mars rover and that was amazing and yeah i can't stop looking at all those images every time they pop up on social media um but one thing i do talk about in the book is that hopefully will help you with, or any teachers that have that same struggle with their administration is planning for that in advance. And I found that maybe not every topic, but most topics, if you really looked at your standards at the beginning of the year, you could kind of already have in place a lot of those general standards, like research, reading comprehension, um, writing, those things all lend itself to any of those projects. And if you already have the documentation in place, like any of the um, templates that are needed for those types of projects, it's going to work. Because what I found when I would try to do those impromptu improvised activities is that they would walk in and I didn't have a rubric. I didn't have templates in place. And that was really the issue. So I couldn't really tell them what standards were being addressed. But mm. if you think about it, you're probably, especially especially elementary, it's a lot easier because we're teaching every subject. Um, but you're, you're addressing so many standards. You don't realize anytime you're engaging in those impromptu type activities, there's so many things they can do that tie in every standard. So if you just have a plan in place ahead of time, I think that helps a lot bringing in those things. And, and space is in the science standards, at least in Ontario space is in the science standards in, I think like grade five or six. So it's like, you know, you, you can you can teach it, you know, and yes. use these as those teachable moments. So 
on the flip side and probably a little bit outside of your wheelhouse um but i'm still interested in this idea of teachable moments and i don't think that we've ever had a year with more tough teachable moments than the last 12 months in particular that is um, true. <laughs> so what do you say to teachers? And I know you're an ed tech coach, but you're certainly seen, I'm sure, as a, as a mentor and a guide to teachers, new teachers. What do you say to teachers who feel obligated um, to use, you know, the insurrection at the Capitol or election season or the uprisings after, you know, the death of George Floyd? How do we use, how do you think we use these as teachable moments as well? Um, a lot of teachers are struggling with this, and I'm sure that you've had to give advice to someone at some point about this, and, and this is a teachable moment, I think. Definitely. I, I think it, I think it depends. One thing I'll suggest to teachers, um, honestly, is one, having administration support, at least letting them know, trying as much as you can to have parent support that you're going to be discussing it and kind of giving them a chance to preview that information with their, their children. I also will tend to, and maybe I'm more on the conservative side on this, but I'll ask them to look at their standards and see like where that topic falls with that. So not necessarily it needs to be a standard they cover, but um, like when does slavery get introduced in our, in our state, it's around like fourth grade. So if they're dealing with something similar to that and like first grade, then I might say, okay, that might be something you would question because there's nothing comparable in your standards. If that makes sense. If there's no background, another thing is if there's no background knowledge for that topic in their curriculum at all, it would be more difficult to address it. Now, luckily with the election, at least in our state, everyone has some types of civics and government standards. So that one's a lot easier to address. But I definitely yeah. think it has to be age appropriate. I also think allowing a lot of it to come from students, allowing them to conduct their own research and meeting with like conferencing with them in small groups or individually. So it's kind of coming more from them versus coming directly from you. Like it, teachers need to, I feel strongly that teachers shouldn't be like imparting their own, you know, opinions for students, but giving them the tools to find their own way. So I, I think that's, that's usually what I'll, I'll, um, how I'll handle that with teachers, but I definitely don't, I never as a coach want to steer someone in a direction that's going to get them into trouble or in any kind of situation that they can't handle. So I, I will say as a coach more so than in my own classroom, I'm pretty cautious with them to make sure mm. that make sure I'm helping them and not getting them in a situation that is going to be challenging for them. Because certainly we know that that happens, especially in the U.S. It doesn't happen as much in Ontario, thankfully, but in the U.S., you can get fired for expressing just, you know, yes. an opinion or even the hint that you might have an opinion on on something that even might be considered yes. political. And some even contracts though... are explicit with that, like certain districts, contracts, state, and sometimes it will be vague, like if it anything that you post on social media, even if it interferes with the educational process, but what exactly does that mean? So I, I feel that strongly as part of my role as a coach is helping them with like FERPA, COPA laws, things like that. But also this type of thing, like, oh, you probably want to check your contract or check the, the yeah. um, acceptable use policy or, or responsible use policy for your district. So that's, that's you know, again, yeah. I'm probably a little more cautious, but I, I definitely... I am open and I like that they want to bring those things into the classroom, but I 
just try to cover everything that might possibly happen. <laughs> so yeah, and so I mean, aware. you're in you're in Florida, and in Florida's, you know, you know, every state's different, and yes. you know what what works in New York, or you know, a, a more you know Washington state, you know, might not be the same as what works in you know Florida or Louisiana or Texas, for example. So yes. you know, it's a it's a big country. And, you know, it's the same in Canada with, you know, there's a big difference between Ontario and Alberta. And, you know, there's a lot of ideological divide between those two places as well. Um, I do think part of our issue right now, though, in like our country and America is that people aren't talking on both sides. So if there's teachers that could successfully navigate that, it might really help bridges because that's something that I'm really interested in is is, um, having things presented in a way that someone doesn't feel like fearful or feel sure. like they actually feel like they could have an open conversation and not get attacked. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Chris, and we're approaching the dreaded, I guess, high stakes <laughs> testing season. Yes. Um, and we all know how ineffective these high stakes tests are at assessing student knowledge. Um, you know, and the biggest we we talked about this earlier in the podcast. The, the 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 people that are actually winning are the companies. No one else is really winning yes. in this in this case. Uh, I'm trying to um, sorry. So I'm reading a question that Glenn wrote. So okay. I have to actually rephrase it because it's it's coming from I I just about read. As an instructional coach, I'm not an instructional coach. (laughs) So, Kristen, what are some ways you encourage teachers to assess their student knowledge? Um, I'm going to rephrase that because I'm butchering this. Kristen, what are some ways you encourage teachers to assess their students' knowledge? And are there ways of collecting formative data from non-traditional assessments to drive instruction? Um, that's a great question. I actually think that that right there is pretty much why I wrote this book. In the intro, I talk about it a little bit, is that I witnessed, and it's funny, it, and I say this in the book, but what really inspired me, which most of my background was with elementary and middle, but it was high schoolers, and it was the, the, the top students. It was the AP students who I expected to come in and do a project and have them so pumped and excited And when they weren't, when all they wanted to know was what points they needed to get an A or what, how is this going to help me with my AP exam? It was so discouraging. And we eventually got them to come around as soon as they got to interact with elementary students for that particular project. But it was so eye-opening to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, we are not creating lifelong learners. We're just creating students who know how to jump through a hoop, you know, and all they're worried about is the grade and it's our own fault as, you know, as a school system. And, um, and, you know, when you mostly work with K to two students, you don't see that as much. They're just excited to learn at that age. But just from years and years of the testing and grading, um, that it really Mm -hmm. starts to happen. And that was my inspiration. And I think the whole book is basically filled with those authentic types of assessments informative. One project I'll highlight in the book is the hacking science videos but it really could apply to any content. And I like that one because it's something you could do all year long. And those types of assessments, students are using vocabulary. Oh, really quick. So what the project is, 
is basically just students recording like labs, experiments, or uh, short tutorial videos that they create. And um, that is how you're assessing what they know. And they're activating background knowledge. They're using, like I said, vocabulary and context. They're truly showing you what they know. You can then later identify any misconceptions they talk about. They have a, more of an authentic purpose because usually when I do this, they're teaching other students or they're acting like YouTubers and they're creating <laughs> something. And then there's so much more information you can get from that than from a traditional test. And I'm not opposed to quick assessments, like multiple choice assessments to see where they're at. But I do think that that is, if that's all you're using, that's not a well-rounded class. And you're really missing out on some qualitative data that you could be gathering. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to put a link in the show notes where folks can buy the book. Where can they connect with you? What are your social media handles? Where can people go to reach out with you, reach out to you if they want to learn more? The best one is probably my Twitter and that's um, at Kristen C-H-A-R-R. And um, also if you are an ISTE member, I'm pretty active on the ISTE PLN forums. So that's another way. Um, my Facebook is more like my, I mean, if you connect with me on Facebook, I'll accept you, but it's more like my high school friends and teaching friends. So I um, tend to keep it more like that, but definitely mm. Twitter and I and reach out to me. Um, I can also, my email is KC. 33lucky at gmail.com. And that's another way. And I'm happy to share ideas. If you have, um, if you have a question or something that you're like trying to figure out and like, Oh, I can't, I can't, I don't know what to do. And what's your suggestion? That's like my favorite thing I love. And usually when I present at conferences, I have at least five or six people that will write to me and I love connecting. And like I said, coaching is just what I was meant to do. I feel like, so I'm constantly wanting to collaborate with people and it's really fun to see an idea shared and then someone takes it even further. And I'm like, Whoa, I never even thought about that. And they just went way beyond what I ever thought. And that's my favorite thing to do as awesome. an educator. Fantastic. Kristen Harrington. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thank you. It was a great experience. <laughs> This is Ava Gay Blackford, another facilitator within the Teach SDGs community. I believe that education is the most powerful force to encourage human rights and dignity, to wipe out poverty and strengthen sustainability, to build a better future for all. I think others should join this community because it creates a support network for members and serves as a global gathering place for teachers to share stories and support one another as we all figure out what learning looks like during the current global pandemic. To access hundreds of resources about the global goals and to connect with almost 1,000 educators around the world, join the free Teach the Global Goals community. Visit go.participate.com slash global goals to get started. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. 
You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.